Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of Trashy Divorces. Hey, friends. Welcome. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy. Thanks for joining us today on this trash candy journey of two really good ones today. Stacy, you are bringing us... I have the short but eminently trashy marriage and divorce of Katy Perry and Russell Brand. Those two, not meant to be together. You... Good Lord, the romance and divorce that rocked Palm Beach society. You love these society ones, too. I really do. I've got the trashy divorce tale of Peter and Roxanne Pulitzer today. A little time machine action, but it's so worth it. Time hopping. Before we get started with the episode, I have this fancy sun-kissed magic mirror on this first day of spring with some big love and thanks to give to our new patrons, yeah, big thanks to Stephanie F., Renee, Willamine, Nicole K., Pearl R., Ashley S., Keisha M., Vesper C., Mandy J., Pebbles T., Diana I., Casey W., Dwayne S. Hey, thanks so much for joining us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces, where we drop multiple things each week and uh, the community there is extraordinary. And we thank you so much for being part of it. You rock. Big love and thanks. And thanks for joining us back on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Alicia, what should we do now? You want to hear me roar? <laughs> we better go, go, go. So Stacy, you're bringing us a quick lived marriage, but still filled with a lot of trash today. Yeah. Like a short and to the point little union. Ashamedly, I don't know a lot about this trashy divorce, so I'm excited about this story. Yeah. All right. So a few weeks ago, we talked about Mandy Moore and how she met a bad boy in a vulnerable moment while her parents were divorcing. This week's story is in that universe of things, a pair of mismatched lovers, too much need, unbridled impulsiveness, but also I think very different. This is the story of pop queen musician Katy Perry and her brief but apparently quite explosive marriage to English comedian, activist, and self-described narcissist, Russell Brand. You missed sanctimonious prick. (laughs) Sorry. Alleged. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those not-with-a-bang-but-a-whimper situations with Katie receiving a text from Russell after just 14 months of marriage informing her that he was divorcing her. (gasps) Over text? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Apparently they have not spoken since. I don't know if that remains true into... Who does that? Russell Brand. Oh my God. (laughs) Get out your bingo cards, baby. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Because one of these people seems pretty well tethered in reality and one less so. Katy Perry, born Catherine Elizabeth Hudson, joined Earth on October 25th, 1984. She's a Scorpio. In Santa Barbara, California. Her childhood was anything but typical, being raised by itinerant Pentecostal ministers. Oh my who wandered the land, relying on the charity of the congregations where they preached to support the family. It went as well as you'd expect. And Katie has said that sometimes things were great and sometimes the family was on food stamps. So she is a middle kid. She has an older sister and a younger brother. And as we ones, they were not allowed to eat Lucky Charms. That's just tempting the devil. Oh my God. And the tasty mayoed paprika egg dish most of us enjoy devilishly were angeled eggs. In the Hudson home. I. Her parents also took seriously the idea that sparing the rod is spoiling the child. Mm. So apparently the discipline could be pretty severe when she was young. As you would expect, it was also a very musical household. 
Her older sister was taking singing lessons and wanting to be like her big sister, nine-year-old Katie, put on a performance that she had put together from some of her sister's cassette tapes and was greenlit to join her sister both at lessons and in singing in the parents' church. Oh, fantastic. She got her first guitar at 13, got a GED at 15, and set out to launch a career in music. A contemporary Christian album, Katie Hudson, there's an actress of a very similar name you may have heard of. Yeah. So Katie Hudson was released in 01. It didn't do much commercially. And of course, there was the slight issue of Kate Hudson perhaps not wanting. I could see how that would be problematic. Professionally, Katie adopted her mother's maiden name as her last name to prevent confusion. Probably smart. With the artist currently known as Kate Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) Moved to Los Angeles, kicked off her years as a starving artist, (laughs) like you do. So she spends a few years kicking around. She's writing songs. She's meeting people in the industry. She's writing songs with people in the industry. She's having projects fall through just before they were going to come to fruition. Like all of the things that happen. All of that heartbreaking disappointment that realistically, like most people throw up their hands and go get a job at a something. So anyway, she did not. She did not. April 2007, she was signed to Capitol Records. And a year later, I kissed a girl, which I learned was not the Jill Sobule song. (laughs) For those of us of a certain age was launched into the world where it would ultimately grace the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100. The record One of the Boys would also hit number one and sold seven million copies. Impressive. Yes. Here is where we will park Katy Perry, pop star, at the Trashy Divorces Depot and hop across the pond to meet her, well, exceptionally trashy future ex-husband. Russell Brand is the older of our couple, He was born June 4th, 1975. He's a Gemini in Essex, England. His parents split up when he was still a baby and he lived with his mom. His childhood hit extra trauma when his mother was diagnosed with cancer when he was eight. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, he had to go live with relatives for a while while she was treated. The strain of all that sort of started to to show by the time he was 14 when he began to suffer bulimia. Two years later, he was out on his own because he couldn't deal with his mother's boyfriend. Like, just a... Tough, not Brought. yeah, not super supportive. Like you, you see the signs from an early age that he was he was struggling. So yeah, you may be surprised after that type of very secure, easy to navigate childhood that young Russell began dabbling in a variety of illegal drugs, and appears to have spent the '90s exploring various creative paths, including acting and I gather a bit of spiraling substance misuse. I don't say that to make light of it. Russell got sober in '02. He's been extremely open about all of it. He's been a sponsor to others seeking sobriety. He's talked about using transcendental meditation as, you know, one of the keys to his his maintenance of his sobriety. That said, during his wild child days, he was arrested a dozen or so times. And his his early, like, post-wild child days work really touches on his misspent past as well as questionable choices he was making even into the present. For instance, 2005's um, eroticized humor uh, stand-up thing that he was doing. Here's a passage from an interview by Miranda Sawyer for The Guardian in 2017 with Russell Brand. She writes, His personal quest means he's gone through umpteen therapists, regaling each with his admittedly eye-popping life story. It got to the point where it would almost be a performance. He would rattle through being an only child, his mom getting cancer three times, being sexually abused by a tutor, his relationship with his macho stepdad, his sexually 
profligate dad who took him to Thailand and ordered three prostitutes. Two, <gasps> two for him, one for 16-year-old Russell. Oh, my. His problems with crack, heroin, with cutting himself, with sex, with food. The therapist he liked most listened to it all and said, yes, but Russell, what is it? What is it? His stand-up career took off and led to various other professional opportunities as a television presenter for various networks, including MTV. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for him. He was fired by MTV after showing up to work dressed as Osama bin Laden the day after the 9-11 attacks. Oh, no. They'd made their peace with each other by 06, and in 2008, Russell hosted the MTV Video Music Awards show, during which he called then-President George W. Bush an abusive name and called Britney Spears a, quote, female Christ. Mm. He got death threats for this. He also claimed the network had great ratings as a result. I think he hosted the following year as well because... It had worked out for everybody, I guess. Unbelievable. He's had film roles, including playing a rock star in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Get Him to the Greek, which is a sequel or spinoff. I'm not sure. Yeah, he plays Sanctimonious Prick in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Great. It's kind of his thing. Allegedly. Allegedly. He has a couple of production companies, including Vanity Projects and Branded Films. He's done a late night talk show and has gradually shifted from comedian entertainment as a profession to dabbling in activism, campaigning, and like political commentary in the UK. Apparently in 2015, like, he told people that they shouldn't vote. There was like a UK election that year. That's not how it works. Not (laughs) helpful. We live in Georgia. (laughs) Voting is good. Okay. He makes a podcast, except when he doesn't make a podcast, and he's written several books, including Revolution. Here's what Miranda Sawyer (laughs) at The Guardian wrote about that. Revolution, Brand's last book, was his call for a political revolution based on destroying capitalism and getting transcendent instead. Spoiler, it didn't work. (laughs) John Lydon called it idiotic, and even his friend Noel Gallagher, on hearing that Brand was writing another book, said, what's it going to be called this time? The revolution that never took place? Sawyer's profile was prompted by Russell writing a follow-up to Revolution Recovery, where he interprets AA's 12-step methodology for a new era with an eye to applying those principles to any area of your life where you're having a compulsive or harmful experience. I'm not knocking this. I just feel like it must be really exhausting to be Russell Brand. To me, Russell Brand feels like your vegan friend, your libertarian friend, your stoner mystic friend, your newly sober friend, your born-again Christian friend, and your crossfitter friend all rolled into one entitled, uninhibited package. Quite a package. I can certainly watch him and see why he'd be appealing, but at the end of the day, I think I'm just too old for a charismatic and emotionally unstable, quasi-religious, quasi-political leader complaining about how the fame that gives him this incredible platform to influence others is like ashes, while he flits off to India to get married in a Hindu ceremony. Wait, I I skipped a thing. (laughs) I've seen the story two ways. One says that Katie and Russell met at the 2008 MTV Music Awards. Okay. Which means they were not entirely strangers when, as the second telling goes, Russell asked her at the 2009 MTV VMAs to film a quick cameo with him for his film, Get Him to the Greek. Here's what Katie would later tell MTV about this. My scene called for me to make out with him. And on the way down the stairs after the scene, I was hopping like a bunny. I hop like a bunny when I'm happy. I get a bit childlike. By October 09, 
they were a couple. They appeared in public as a couple for the first time and on New Year's Eve of that year. Oh, my. After like three, four months, Russell proposes marriage while the two are vacationing in India. She said yes. October 2010, they returned to India. Here's The Guardian's short write-up of the nuptials. The singer Katy Perry and entertainer Russell Brand were married on Saturday at a private and spiritual ceremony. That's a quotation. At a wildlife sanctuary in India. A spokesman for the couple said a friend of Perry's family conducted the service. A hotel official said Brand and Perry wore traditional Indian clothes with the bride and female guests in saris. Brand's wedding procession from a nearby resort was said to include 21 camels, plus oh. elephants, horses, what? dancers, and musicians. Lions and bears, too? Oh, my God. It just, oh it's my. like, it's like... That's col- a lot. It's colonialism right there, I think, a in a bit. nutshell. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. The marriage lasted a whopping 14 months, so you can expect that the complaining started (laughs) relatively early. In April 2011, Russell Brand (laughs) told Regis and Kelly that all the press attention was really hard. Yep. Russell Brand went on U.S. national television to bemoan the constant media attention the couple was receiving. When camels are your bridesmaids, flower girls, whatever, yeah, you're you're not... Aiming to keep an undercover life. I will say there are no photos. Like, it really was private. Like, there, as far as I know, there are no photos of this in public. So, so there is that. But, again, let me... He went on Regis and Kelly to come... Anyway. By the end of November, Katie, apparently responding to divorce rumors, tweeted, First I'm pregnant and then I'm divorced. What am I? All my children? Mm-hmm. She hashtagged Erica Kane in that. Good for her. <laughs> Days later, ever camera shy Russell told Ellen DeGeneres on her show. No. Yeah, I am really happily married. I'm married to Katie perpetually until death do us part was the pledge. And I am still alive. Now, keep in mind that during this period, Katie, who is nine years younger than her husband, was still a rising star. On February 20th, 2011, so like just a few months after their their wedding, she launched a 127-date California Dreams tour in Lisbon, Portugal, which would, you know, before its end on January 22nd of 2012, rake in a cool $59.5 million. A lot of dough. A lot of dough, a lot of, like, big commitment, a lot of travel, a lot. I mean, just That's a it's year. A it's a year on the road. And it's a ton of publicity. Late in the fall, she was supposed to sit with Barbara Walters for an interview. Oh, no. And it all went wrong. Here is what Katie told Billboard. Barbara Walters, by the way, has since apologized for this incident. So Katy Perry says, I shouldn't have done the interview. I was playing Madison Square Garden that same night, and I knew that the end of my marriage was coming. I was just exhausted and stressed. I'd prepped everyone that I was running late, but Barbara showed up at the original time anyway. When I got there, I apologized immediately, but then she said to me, you know, I've only ever waited for one other person this long, and you know who that person was? Judy Garland. You know how she turned out, right? I was like, Barbara. Oh, I was like, oh, snap. Yes, bitch. I think it's the coolest thing that Barbara Walters shaded me. I just couldn't tell her as we were sitting down for a mega interview, hey, my marriage is falling apart. Give me a break. There's always something going on behind the scenes. Oh, my God. That is my favorite Barbara Walters anecdote ever. I I think that is, yeah. Okay. But, you know, the marriage was falling apart. 
Early on in its aftermath, both chalked everything up to their intense schedules, keeping them apart. I mean, that makes sense. It perfectly makes sense. And Katie also noted that she wasn't ready for motherhood at the time and Russell wanted to have kids. But later it became kind of clear that there was more going on. So Russell, struggling to deal with the enormity of the attention that Katie was getting on her wildly successful tour, went to Kenya on a charity trip. He came home just as the Occupy movement, which was demanding equality and democracy, got started that September. So like, wow, Russell Brand, a ragtag band of leaderless protesters and a way more successful than he wife. Whatever will happen next? So on December 31st, 2012, Katy Perry received a text from her husband, Russell Brand, informing her that he was divorcing her. And again, I don't know if they've still never talked since here into 2021, but like even in like 2017, like I was reading interviews from years later and she was like, yeah, I've never heard from her. Sorry, love, not going to work. If you want some quantification of how thoroughly eclipsed Russell was by Katie, know that reporting at the time had it that if he had wanted to fight for this in court, he was eligible for half of the $44 million that she earned in the 14-month period of their marriage. Holy cats. He didn't, though, much to his credit. Good like, I do you, not want to downplay that. Like, he opted, he he just, want, he just wanted out. It just wasn't what he wanted. He did not fight her for money. And reportedly, he gave her use of the $6 million California home that they had purchased together. So Fantastic. Kind of a not trashy divorce. Saying you're getting a divorce over text See, that's, amps up the trash it, level. Undeniably. Unavoidably. Indubitably. Inexcusably. <laughs> Uh, In 2013, Vogue's Vicki Woods spent a day with Katie and wrote this about the experience for the June magazine. Quote, This is why Russell Brand fell for her in a minute and a half, I'm thinking, because of the quick-fire, slapstick, deadpan, adult, childish, wisecracking, and point-scoring. When they were both on form and in love, they must have come over like Hepburn and Tracy. Brand was, quote, a magical man. When she met him four years ago, she says... And he's always looked like a romantic little package, an all-era's history boy with his Regency hair, skinny Tudor legs and codpiece, and Wuthering Heights recklessness. I mean, the accent doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. I know a lot of women who have done dumb, dumb things. Oh, sure. Well, and he's got his like, similarly to Jared Leto, he's he's got that like quasi Messiah style, the long hair and the yeah. Yeah, anyway. So Katy Perry says, he's a very smart man, and I was in love with him when I married him. Let's just say I haven't heard from him since he texted me, saying he was divorcing me December 31st. I murmur something about Brand's bad boy reputation, but add that his native land, the UK, forgives him because he's hysterically funny. She responds, hysterical in some ways, until he started making jokes about me, and he didn't know I was in the audience because I had come to surprise him at one of his shows. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, just just rough. Yeah, there was a documentary called Katy Perry, Part of Me that was filmed, kind of, I think, on this tour experience. And she... That's definitely the time you want to film a documentary is when your uh, marriage is falling apart. Well, fun fact, he's not in it because he... <laughs> like, that's one thing she's saying in this interview is like, I tried to get home as much as I could and I invited him as much as I could, but it's not like we were cutting clips of him out of the movie. He just was never around. Wow. That's yeah. tough. So she goes on to say, at first when I met him, he wanted an equal. And I think a lot of times strong men do want an equal, but then they get that equal and they're like, I can't handle the equalness. 
He didn't like the atmosphere of me being the boss on tour, so that was really hurtful, and it was very controlling, which was upsetting. The song remains the same. Yeah, and like you think about what she has set down from her childhood, from her very religious upbringing, to become a pop star and like the singer of I Kissed a Girl, and you know, like you, I I can I can imagine that having a controlling guy. And yeah, this, ain't gonna work for her. Yeah, that's not... She's been there. She did that, and she's probably not that interested in going back. Okay. Within months, she was dating musician John Mayer. <laughs> Out of the frying pan. <laughs> this guy is just a spider web all on his own. Okay. Into the fire. This was a situation that was widely seen as a revenge relationship, but Katie swears to Vogue that it was not. No, not at all, she says. No, I was madly in love with him. I'm still madly in love with him. All I can say about that relationship is he's got a beautiful mind. Beautiful mind, tortured soul. I do have to figure out why I'm attracted to these broken birds. <laughs> Lesser. Broken birds Broken right. birds. I love it. Russell Brand, of course, has kept going. His transition to political thinker largely happened after this. But he still plays up the would-be messiah thing. And um, yeah, he put out a documentary as well, perhaps as an answer to Katy Perry's. He's... Russell Brand. It's called Brand, A Second Coming. <laughs> there was a 2013 stand-up special, <laughs> Messiah Complex. Like, he leans into it. it it's wow. really, it's a thing with him. Yeah, it is. He's been involved with a woman named Laura Gallagher since 2015. They got married in 2017. Uh, they have two daughters together. And based on the most recent Guardian profile that I saw of him, he seems to have matured over the years. Good on him. So he's still chaotic. He's still attention-seeking, just, just less. <laughs> Katy Perry has done just fine. Thank she, you very much. She has famously feuded with Taylor Swift and then made up with Taylor Swift and then dressed as a hamburger in the video for You Need to Calm Down. That was quite a moment. I put basically no stock in the feuding pop stars stories. I that, I believe those to all be publicity generated. Um, all of these people are make a lot of money and make a lot of money off each other when they can, so... She signed on as a judge for American Idol, where, arguably, she sexually assaulted a young male contestant in 2017. Oh, no. Yeah, it aired in 2018, but yeah, it was a young guy from Oklahoma who mentioned, I guess he was asked if he had a girlfriend or something. Anyway, it came out that he had never kissed a girl, and Katy Perry like calls him over and ultimately does kiss him sort of forcibly. Anyway... Reasonable discussion around consent was had okay. in that moment. Okay. Katy Perry became the first person to gain 100 million followers on Twitter in June of 2017. You're joking. She's very online. I didn't actually know that about her. And since 2016, has had a somewhat turbulent relationship with actor Orlando Bloom, or as I like to call him, Legolas the fiancé. Absolutely. Legolas the fiancé. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, they are engaged now. Oh, good. They have a daughter who was born last year in the COVID times. And tragically, she was not named Droplet. I thought there would be just a boom of babies named Droplet after last spring. Anyway, um, she is named Daisy Dove Bloom. Instead. Oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Maybe they call her Droplet. Stop yourself. Okay. I think this brings us to the end of Katy Perry and Russell Brand, but there is one more anecdote to share because of that beautiful mind, tortured soul, broken bird thing. Like a lot of celebrities, Katy licenses various like lifestyle and fashion things. And one of her first forays into all of that was releasing a Katy Perry fragrance. Like, I mean, 
who doesn't do that, right? Like, anyway, she was quite young at the time, and she decided to call it Killer Queen, because as a kid, she loved Queen, the band, and thought that notable, though publicly closeted homosexual Freddie Mercury, quote, really knew what a woman was. I just oh, love that. Oh, my just Katy love- Perry. Yes, this extremely, like, naive childhood to, you know, Katy Perry, megastar, enjoying all of the the tropes of stardom. I didn't, I don't know in the universe of trash cans. Oh, I don't think we'll ever know how many trash cans they have because they're all hidden in a private animal sanctuary <laughs> in India. We'll, we'll, we'll never get to see them. Yeah. Unknown. What a weird little adventure she had with Russell Brand, who is certainly still having his own weird little adventure. That is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you go. for my crash course into that trashy divorce. I learned a lot. Yes. And hey, if uh, anyone ever tells you not to vote, like, just give them a look and go vote. Sod off. Don't, don't even. Yeah. You got to vote. That <laughs> is right. how it works. So that's me. Fantastic. Let's take a quick break. Take a break. Come back. We're going to come you. back with some high society. Trashy Divorces Hot Goss, uh, after we hear from our sponsors today. Gotta balance my lowbrow, huh? I mean, divorce via text? That's bad. Catch you back on the flip, y'all. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pie, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. All right. And I have no friends. So for me, it's, you know. Trying like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. So, Alicia, you're going to take us to a very hot place. Palm Beach trashy today, my (laughs) friends. Palm Beach trashy. This is the romance scandal that rocked Palm Beach in the late 70s and the divorce scandal that was headline news in 1982. Our characters in today's trashy divorces drama, Peter and Roxanne Pulitzer. You know Peter already if you are a trashy divorces listener. We covered him in season three, episode five. Go back to July 28th, 2019 for all of his backstory. I promised then that we were going to come back to this trashy divorce. Long con there. (laughs) (laughs) Super long con, super long con. But it does associate with a little side project I have going on, which is pretty exciting because I followed this case 
since 1982 when I was 10 because my man Dominic Dunn oh, was covering it of for Vanity Fair. If you are into true crime, if you're into Dominic Dunn and the intersection of true crime and literature, may I encourage you to go check out my new little side project called Dunn and Done. Available where you get your podcasts. That's it. Just free where you get your podcast. I can't cover this one on Done and Done, though, because this true crime is broken love and broken promises. So, trashy divorces. Old Peter, when we left him, back in the long con of July 2019, is a few years off his divorce from Lily Pulitzer, she of the legendary print shift gowns. So Peter and Lily McKim divorced in 1969. Lily, within a few days after their divorce's final marries her handsome, dashing, wonderful Cuban lover man. And Peter is gonna Peter around for the next few years. Uh, he's pulling his sneaky Pete's. If you remember Peter Pulitzer and his sneaky Pete's. Peter Putters. <laughs> a little less sneak now, though, because he's single. But Peter Pulitzer is a playboy. He's handsome. He's dashing. He's charming. Businessman. And his getting single is only going to make him go harder at business and with the ladies. 1975. There is a party in Palm Beach that Peter is attending and enter young, blonde, Roxanne Rinkins. She's an Aquarius girl. She's born February 10th, 1951. So there is a 21-year age difference between the 45-year-old Peter and the 23-year-old Roxanne. She's a kid from Casadega, New York. It's a small town like 60 miles southwest of Buffalo. She's the oldest of four kids. Her dad leaves her mom when Roxanne's about three. Mom actually requested dad get the hell out of town, and he does. Hmm. Roxanne will say he never came back, never wrote a card or called. I haven't seen him since. I don't even know if he's alive. Wow. Her only memories of dad who... GTFO'd. GTFO'd are painful. I remember him hitting my mother. Mm. So mom works for the phone company. We'll remarry. Roxanne raised a Baptist. She goes to public school. She's a cheerleader. She gets married at 19 because she says I desperately wanted to get the hell out of Casadega. I get it. She leaves Casadega. Where does she go? Florida with her new husband where he is a college student. She, too, will enroll at Palm Beach Junior College. She's selling life insurance on the side, working on her tan. You know, the things you do. Florida things. That first marriage is going to end a year later. It doesn't last very long. So 1975, Roxanne's living in the trailer court. She's graduated from junior college. There's a party one night. Roxanne, Peter Meat. He's a businessman. He's established. She's a... Peppy divorced cheerleader and, well, what the heart wants or, <laughs> or some part of the body. Yeah, love or lust or something like it in the May-December romances on. And they move in fairly quickly together. It takes her a minute. She doesn't really like him too much at first, but he grows on her. She will say, when I first started living with Herbert, I was 23. None of the women would talk to me. Like, you have to understand, Peter is ingrained in Palm Beach society. And Roxanne is not accepted into this very insular group. Right. Interloper to the rich. Hugh can say that again. His friends all think she's a gold digger. Are they wrong, though? <laughs> it, 
it's debatable. Okay. I I really like Roxanne. She's brutally honest. I I have followed her for years and years and years because there's just she's unabashedly herself, which to me is really respectable because she gets screwed over in this. But let's get through the first round of screwing before we get to the next round of screwing. Lots of screwing in this story. Palm Beach is pretty mad. She's not accepted because his first wife, right, is Palm Beach royalty. Lily McKim is a big deal as well, but Lily's happily remarried. So they're not upset in the fact they need to like defend the first wife. This is five, six years after their divorce. But Roxanne says things like, for sure. And the Palm Beach ladies who absolutely have that town on lockdown will refer to her as Tawny. And it is not a compliment. Roxanne will explain about this dislike. You're younger, usually a little better looking. You didn't go to boarding schools. You're just shunned. Invitations would come to the house to him, Mr. Peter Pulitzer. And then P.S. Please come alone. She's living with him and he gets social invites that say... Just for you, don't bring your gold-digging tart. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. But the romance will not be deterred. The couple will marry in January 1976. And when that happens, invitations pour in for the couple. Okay, now that you're married, we have no choice but to accept you. And good Lord, Roxanne, just honest. Please see TrashyDivorces.com for any and all references, because I've pulled from a lot of different places in here. She says, times were happy in the beginning. They had a real marriage. Everybody was jealous of us. We represented too much happiness. I got along very well with the men. They loved me, but the women didn't. I got so sick of saying hello to people who wouldn't even give me the decency to say hello back. I'd purposefully go over and talk with their husbands. Not flirt with them, but let the other women think I was. I had my own game going. I was always amusing myself. I do wonder if the, you know, the other wives of Palm Beach may have been concerned that Peter Pulitzer was giving their husbands ideas about what their own future could look like. Well, part of this idea is gross because apparently Peter likes, it's it's certainly not gross. Everybody's body choices are their body choices. But Peter liked long underarm hair, uh, long hair everywhere. Uh, this was not a wax kind of situation. Right, this was not shaving, not waxing. Peter really likes not into sculpting. Okay. hair on women. So she continues, I had hair. It must have been this long. And she holds her thumb and her index finger four inches apart under my armpits. Swear to God, she says. He was raised in Europe. You have to understand this. So that's where it came from. But there was nobody in Palm Beach that has hair under their armpits. And those men would say, Roxanne, you're a very attractive girl, but that hair. And I'd look at them and say, I wasn't aware that I was going to go home and go to bed with you this evening. I mean, that was my way of saying expletive deleted, but Mm -hmm. fill in the blank. That's the only way you can live in Palm Beach and not end up in an institution. So she's rocking the boat. Sure, she'll flash a little leg or bare a little breast on the way back from the ladies room. She says it was all fun. The same thing anybody does. Go up and put your hands on your husband's pants when nobody's looking. Doesn't everybody do that? Around town, they call her Foxy Roxy. 
The couple's having a lot of fun at the end of the 1970s. And again, super honest down to earth. There's no lies. She doesn't skirt around anything. So putting it out there, because all of this is going to be brought up in the trial, like nasty things, mostly concerning drugs and sex. So let's talk about drugs first. Roxana's like, of course we were doing cocaine. It was 1978. Everyone was doing cocaine. We heard about its health benefits. Like, that was the thing. Cocaine was like, ooh, this is the new cool, healthy, if you can imagine, thing to do in the late 70s. And Peter is going to make her out to be an addict, but she's firm. She's like, this was a couple-based activity. I was never doing any of this alone. This was Peter and I doing things as a couple. I didn't force him to do this. This was this was a voyage we were on together. Based on pretty much every story that we've done set in the 70s. Everyone's, everything she's saying is true. Everyone is doing cocaine. So the next thing that comes up, sex, natch. So lots of things going on between these two. Old Sneaky Pete is eventually looking for more adventures, and he is desperate for a threesome. And it takes Roxanne a year to agree to this, because Peter has now said, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it with two strangers. And she's like, no, I'm I'm not into that. If this is the choice, I would much rather be involved. Adultery was never a thing. They had a happy sex life, by all accounts, <laughs> publicized and not. But it is not a road that she would have chosen to participate, but she really loves her husband. And this is what you want, and that's great. Roxanne wants kids. Peter does not. But she will deliver twin boys in 1978. And the couple kind of doing their thing here. They have a torrid thing happening with another married couple in Palm Beach. One of the women that is brought into this circle is the wife of the Kleenex heir, Jackie Kimberly. That is a really trashy Palm Beach divorce story for another day. So I just hooked your bait for some time <laughs> in season 29. Right. All right. So things are rolling. And one day, December 1980, January 1981, Peter comes on in with some papers for Roxanne to sign. Drawn up these papers. They're called a postnuptial agreement. Yikes. That's and never a good sign. Never a good sign. You're just springing this on me? She's reading this, and the postnup is calling for, yeah, pretty much, I can divorce you as soon as you sign this, and you say it's okay, and I'm going to take the kids. And Roxanne's horrified. She's like, I never realized the kids were the issue. He did not want the kids. And this last one paragraph says, pretty much, like, if I sign it, you can divorce me right now. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take a few days to calm down, take a little nap, get off the cocaine trip. Uh, Peter does not want to do that. And he tells her at that time, with my power, my money, and my name, I will destroy you. And well, she says, this happy marriage took a turn. Yeah, no, it's bad. One and day they're frolicking through sexy time with the neighbors. And the next, <laughs> she thinks he hit a midlife crisis. It's like he turned 50 and I like we I wanted to make it work. I could have made it work, but he was done. She was nearing 30 or something. 31 when yeah. they got divorced. Yeah. So gross. She says that she should have listened to this. I will destroy you. I yeah. will destroy you message. Yeah. Because two weeks later, Peter takes her to court and sues for child custody in the Florida courts. And it's on. 
Peter wants the divorce, and Roxanne will ultimately say this was not about love, this was about control. So Peter initially offers to Roxanne to not have a trial, to keep it out of the papers, like, let's just divorce quietly. If you go away quietly, this is what I will give you. A midnight black Porsche, $45,000 a year in alimony and child support, four years in the home, and $200,000 for a home after that. Now, maybe she should have taken that and gone. Be happy. Be free, Roxanne. Live your life, but she does not. Because Peter Pulitzer at the time is worth about $25 million, even though when he gets into court, oh, judge, I only have this paltry $2 million. Okay. Yes. So she's going for part of that fortune. And with his twin kids, like she doesn't really feel that this offer is a very fair shake, probably for the five inch underarm hair and the... <sighs> Hopefully she shaved before court. I don't, I don't know. I hope so. I imagine Florida courts in the early 80s were just an awesome place for women. (laughs) It does get to court. And there are lots of witnesses that say terrible things. This is like a 21-day court trial that is headline news every day. There's 19 days of testimony. The maids, friends, family. And Roxanne is going to get shafted, right? They recount her lovers and her drug use. And, oh, this is worse. She's called a trumpet. Any like This is the word that's associated with her. There's this New York Post headline about her being a trumpet and how she used this trumpet for sexual purposes. But they went to, Peter and Roxanne went to some kind of seance and got this ceremonial trumpet that was given to them after the ceremony and they take it home and put it in the closet. But she is giving an interview where the trumpets behind her. So it turns into this whole, it is terrible, salacious, in your window thing. Peter also in the trial. Old Peter, sneaky Pete. I want everybody to feel sorry for me because I was married to this young woman and her demands were so insatiable that in order for me to keep up, I had to make terrible choices like do mountains of cocaine to keep up with her. She forced me to use the drugs and do all these wild sexual encounters that pish posh, I would have never agreed to. But then I did the mountains of cocaine. I mean, this is a sensational trial. Yeah. Yeah, this is awful. Roxanne is accused of drug smuggling and like sleeping with not only people of all genders and sexes, but musical objects as well. Like, it's pretty bad. The judge is going to hand down a ruling. And this is what the judge's ruling said when it's finalized. The wife entered this marriage with limited financial resources, a used automobile of unknown value, and $7,000 interest in a mobile home. Upon departing the marriage, which she destroyed... She takes with her a $20,000 Porsche automobile purchased with the husband's funds, about $60,000 in jewelry purchased in large measure with the husband's funds, $48,000 in rehabilitative alimony, $7,000 equity in the husband's boat, and $102,000 in attorney's fees. Also... Primary physical residence of both children shall be with the husband. 
subject to frequent, continuing, and reasonable contact and visitation with the wife. In this ruling, the judge declares that Roxanne cannot remove her children from Palm Beach County without the written consent of Peter or the court. Like, he gutted her. He, and she feels bad about it because the one thing she always promises, kids, I'm here for you. And then she isn't. Like, the, oh, God, it's just his, this is so trashy. Yeah. The judge continues. Flagrant acts of adultery and other gross marital conduct demeans the sanctity of marriage in the family unit and will not be tolerated by an enduring society. Oh, my God. It is improper to, to it is improper to permit an errant spouse to destroy a marriage and then claim benefits equal to those which would not have been enjoyed had the marriage remained intact. She's given till January 10th to peacefully vacate the marital residence. There are then additions about the complicated schedule and the list of rules for visiting the kid. It's a bad ruling for her. Yeah, it sounds like the good old boys. Oh, you want the kicker? Good old boyed this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the kicker. Let me tell you about old uh, Judge. He's a good friend of Peter's. That was my assumption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he... You know, towering figure in the community, of course, knows all the rich people who... At the club and whatever. Well, this is a criminal judge. Mm. He's been a criminal judge for mm. decades and decades who leaves his criminal judge job to come over to, to family civil court, court yeah. to try to hear one case. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. The fix was in. The deck was always going to be stacked against her. So the trial goes south. Peter gets the kids. And again, she says this is the hardest thing. It was the thing that was going to hurt her the most. It takes her a long time to reconnect because they, the kids... Feel like, Mom, you've lied to us. You've betrayed our trust. They go into counseling and therapy. You know, their oh, I'm sure phone calls. I'm sure their dad is saying entirely generous things exactly. about her. Now, the thing about this, though, when she's interviewed later, she says, you know what? That marriage was meant to be, and I refuse to give power to the negative. You don't learn until you've done most things wrong. I wouldn't do anything differently. We had five and a half good years and one and a half bad years. I have no regrets. Because she got her kids. But wait, they're still in love during and after the trial. This is where she says it's not about love. It's about control. Because they will continue to sleep together for two years after the divorce is final. There's talk of reconciliation. And Roxanne says the relationship will sour after she files an appeal to win more frequent visitation rights. Now, there could be a little bit of sleeping around to get more frequent visitation rights. like. Okay, let me do what you want. I'll keep you happy. That appeal handled by Trashy Divorce's favorite lawyer, Marvin Mitchelson, Mm. although it is unsuccessful. Mm. The judge in that trial cites her gross marital conduct and awards custody again to Peter, allowing Roxanne to only see her sons a few hours a week. So she's later asked in an interview, why do you think he sued you for a divorce? <laughs> I love Roxanne. All I can think of is that he's an Aries. I mean, he's a hunter, and I think I'm the one trophy that's not on his wall. I think I'm a person who has in their heart something he would like to have. So she is asked, what's that? She says, guts. <laughs> She does go gutsy. Oh, gosh. She gets so fucked in the divorce that she needs the cash. So she will model for Playboy in June of 1985. 
for about $70,000. She uses that to like feed herself and pay her divorce bills. Now, Peter does not react so favorably to the nude layout. What does he do? He cuts her visiting time with the kids even more. She will also author an autobiography called Prize Pulitzer, The Scandal That Rocked Palm Beach. She writes three novels over time as well. The autobiography is adapted into a made-for-TV movie. But overall, this is at the time, she says she's glad she no longer has to pretend to be something she isn't. She was on the verge of losing Roxanne. She gets a job teaching aerobics. At the time, she was earning about 75 bucks a week. Again, I'm going to give you an update because there is a trashy update to all of this. But back then, she said she had the opportunity to marry other wealthy men, but she has declined. As for her freewheeling interviews, because she really unabashed, she says, Peter knows that one day I would have gone ahead and spoken out. He would know me well enough to know I'm not the type to sit back or leave town. I'm not guilty. Why should I hide my head? Devoted mom, screwed over in the divorce. (laughs) She ends with, it's going to be hard for him to replace me. That's one thing I know for sure. I love her. (laughs) But we're not done with Little Miss Honesty, right? Because she has a few more scandalous affairs. In 1991, Roxanne was involved in the divorce case of a French count and race car driver. But Roxanne's not done. In 1992, she's going to marry again, this time to speedboat racer John Hagen Jr. It's a Las Vegas wedding that happens in October. Now, the thing about John is he will give up a $200 million fortune to marry Roxanne. He's an heir to a $200 million fortune, but his mama, who is Palm Beach royalty, is like, if you marry that girl, you're cut out. Wow. So John really struggles with this decision. How do I keep the wife I love and the millions I'm supposed to inherit? John chooses to spend their honeymoon with his own mother in Australia. Roxanne and John... end up in divorce court within eight weeks. Wow. Yep. Okay. As of 2011, because this is the, this is the hear you roar part. I love it so hard. Roxanne married again to a dude named Timothy Boberg. They reside in Palm Beach. They have a few homes in other places. She's enjoying a quieter life. But Roxanne gets the last laugh on Peter who screwed her over so hard. So Peter and her twin boys who like, are completely grown up now, own an 800-acre citrus farm that at the time in 2011 was about to go bankrupt. And Roxanne's new hubby, Tim, will go in because they're about to go under, hold the mortgage, and extend a line of credit. Her kids are super grateful. Peter is a little more reserved. He is quoted as saying, I want to thank Tim for any help he has given, but this is not a subject I want to talk about. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Her new hubby, Tim, will say, it's an ironic turnaround that no one would have expected. Yep. Roxanne, who was so destroyed, was able to come back and he was glad to help Peter out. Roxanne's surprised. It's funny how things work out. Yeah. She uh, tells the Daily News, I never thought Peter would run out of money. The pendulum swings. Mm -hmm. It's a different ending. I love that story with the twist at the end because she was so maligned and hated and outcast and she just held like i didn't do anything wrong or you know i didn't do anything all the rest of you weren't doing like that is the trashy divorce of roxanne and peter pulitzer as trash cans go i 
unlimited. Wow. Yeah. All filled with cocaine, three ways, just an ever trumpets of unwarranted blame, Porsches. I don't, I don't know. And a karma ending really that can't be beat. Well yeah. done, yeah. Roxanne. Well done. Nice. That is the completion of the divorce saga of Peter Pulitzer. Uh, he did pass away a few years ago. So he has shuffled off this mortal coil and Roxanne still living the good life in Palm Beach. Quieter life, doing her thing. And her sons make orange juice. <laughs> orange juice guys with their 800 acre citrus farm. They save the farm. It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, let's add some oranges in the trash oh, yeah, cans yeah. too for sure come on for sure. done all right well that's I th- what i got i think that's it for us yeah thanks everybody for tuning in this week we appreciate you spending your time with us if you need more trash candy in the meantime we have our heiresses series going on over on patreon spider webs this past week was a ton of fun we talked about british colonialism oh, and the boy. peacock dress and so many things so many things you can check us out over there at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. And until we talk to you again next week, keep those hands clean. Wear a mask, wear two masks, schedule your vaccine appointment or go get the jab if you can. Yeah, we had our first jab this past week. We did. All went great. Yep. Halfway to immunity. <laughs> our trashy hearts are delighted. Yes, we, we have we've vaccinated our hearts against the trash. We'll catch you back next week for the season finale. Oh, sure. Of season nine. Baker's Dozen. That's it. We're doing 13 episodes this month. So we'll catch you back next Sunday. Thanks again for sharing your time with us. And as always, keep keep it it trashy. trashy. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.